Here's the good, the bad, and the ugly of Avengers Endgame, along with a Christian worldview discussion on sacrifice, family, and God complexes. Are you just watching episode 92, Avengers Endgame? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And as promised, <laughs> for probably like two months now, <laughs> we're going to do a review on Endgame. <laughs> We've been talking about it a little while. Yeah, it's it's been on our radar for a while. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but there's absolutely no way to discuss this movie without spoiling it. So... If you're listening to this episode, I really hope you've already seen the movie because we're not even going to bother doing a non-spoiler section. <laughs> we're just going to jump in. There are a couple reveals that are much better if they are not spoiled. And for the most part, the internet community has done a pretty good job of not, not spoiling, spoiling the end game. Yes. But. <laughs> yes, but. This is not going to be one of those reviews where we dance around or talk about things without saying anything, because yeah. we have a lot to talk about, and it would take forever to dance around some of the stuff. So we're just going to jump right in. Okay, so first things first, the score in this movie is by Alan Silvestri again. He's done not all, but some of the scores for the MCU. Yeah, I would guess he probably has... Uh, he's got the most MCU movies uh, to his credit, but he probably has the most Disney movies to his credit with uh, our good friend Giacani uh, <laughs> um, coming a close second, but uh, it, it's, I don't have anything to back that up, just to guess. Yeah, we'd have to go look at his filmography. Yeah, the, the music is, as per usual for Marvel, quite good and worth staying for the credits so you can listen to all the music. I'll play just a little bit of it here for you so that you can hear, you know, the swell of emotion, which there's a lot of swell of emotion in this movie. <laughs> Okay, so I think if I remember right, there was some uh, other music in this other than his score. Yeah, there was there was definitely some conventional uh, pop music from various eras of humanity. I remember dancing along to the intro of Guardians of the Galaxy, which <laughs> was probably <laughs> one of my favorite of the flashbacks in this movie. I particularly like the supersonic rocket ship song. It's playing when they're going to pick up Thor. Mm -hmm. I really, really enjoyed that one thrown in there. I don't think I'd heard it before this movie, to be honest with you. Yeah, I guess I I don't recall. I remember it was it was it had a good beat and I kind of moved to it a little bit in my seat. I, I liked it because in this particular case, those songs kind of broke the angst, I think, or the emotion yeah. and gave you a little bit of a break. There was comedy like always in this Marvel movie, but I mm -hmm. think the concept of this movie, it was so emotional that it was nice to get in a, a break from it. Yeah, it, this one was, I think this one was harder because it, 
coming into it, half of all living beings had just been wiped out. Mm-hmm. So the movie opens 22 days after the snap mm-hmm. and then jumps ahead five years. So that is some really heavy emotion that they have to work with in the film. I think mm-hmm. they did a pretty good job of it. And Marvel, frankly, they've always done a uh, a really good job in my mind with comic timing mm-hmm. and balancing humorous comments by like Rocket Raccoon or Ant-Man along with the, the other stuff. Right. Yeah, there's um, it's all very well balanced and well paced. And for a three hour movie, that's very important. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it did have an emotional, satisfying conclusion with a few things I didn't like. But, but being such a long movie, uh, I thought they did a very good job of getting you directly into the story with no setup. I mean, they didn't spend a lot of time rehashing anything. In fact, they used the scene with Clint and his family to kind of resurrect that feeling you had at the end of Infinity War without rehashing any of the old. I agree. I I think that's one of the things they did uh, particularly well. And I'll take it a step further. I I think they have done a very good job uh, in, in the past as well with this with telling or hinting at a much larger story mm-hmm. without giving so much that it makes it a major part of what you're watching, but uh, still giving enough that you don't you know, find yourself what's going on. And for me, the way they handled Barton's transformation into Ronan, entirely off screen, but still giving enough information, I thought that was a, a good example of, of the thoughtful writing that went into much of this. Yeah. And see, I don't even know who Ronan is. So that that's a, you know, obviously your familiarity more with the comics Mm. and what in his character development in the comics, because I just figured he'd gone a little rogue. So, (laughs) or a lot rogue in this case. Yeah. A lot rogue. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Understandably, but yeah, it, it definitely wasn't a, a good thing. I also going at the at my end of my first viewing, I leaned over to the person that had gone to the movie with me and I says, I bet you they don't do any teasers in the credits. It just seems appropriate that after they've gotten people used to staying all the way to the end of the movie, that there wouldn't be anything there. Mm-hmm. And I was right. There wasn't anything there. <laughs> well, it, there was an audio that some people made a much bigger deal out of than I think than it deserved. My son is convinced that it was a bookend, the audio sound at the end. I'm not so convinced. I think it was just a, hey, it'd be neat to throw this in. I guess I didn't notice. I I noticed the normal logos and stuff at the end. So At the very last thing where uh, it puts the Marvel logo up on the screen, you know, mm-hmm. with nothing else after all the, the scrolling is done. Right. You hear a hammer hitting an anvil, which most people believe is the actual sound from the first Iron Man movie when he was making his original Iron Man suit. Hmm. And that's why my son thinks it's a bookend for the entire Iron Man saga. Yeah. Well, somebody brought up the fact that Technically, he could have uploaded his brain because he'd done it and and come back, you know, as a computer mm. thing like he's he's done with, you know, his computer personalities and his and everything. 
I think Robert Downey Jr. himself is done, so I, I doubt that yeah. they would go with that. Yeah, I agree. I think you and I had a, a negative that we shared <laughs> during the final battle scene. I really did not care for the, the woman power scene where oh. yeah, Captain Marvel was going to take the gauntlet back and, and get it to the time time device and um, mm-hmm. they made this point of having all of the female characters grouped behind her will make sure she gets there and that was just so unnecessary and I rolled my eyes I even it threw me completely out of the movie even at the first viewing I turned and looked at the person next to me and and we both looked at each other and kind of shared smirks we just yeah and, yeah it, it it was for me it was more than unnecessary it was completely disruptive between that and a couple other things, I actually have come out of Endgame disliking more than liking. <laughs> yeah, it it was just, it it didn't fit. I saw some people talking online about it possibly being a um, homage to, I guess, a new comic book series. Yeah, that's I saw the, that. The Ladies of In- Lady Avengers or something like that. But it, to me, it just, it, it was like a, they were trying to make a social statement and it was completely unnecessary because how in the middle of a battle would you get all of your female characters grouped together? I mean, that's right. It's they, they and on top of that, on top about, of that, Captain Marvel just flew through Thanos's ship and yeah. suddenly she needs help getting through his henchmen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Yeah. I agree. I mean, it's like suddenly none of the characters are are working to their correct level of power because Captain Marvel was set up as being this awesome, powerful character that really, I mean, I know they, they kind of get back with her at the beginning about wanting to do it by herself. You know, here we work as a team kind of thing. Yeah. But it's not, it's not like she really needs a team. She's like super powerful. And all she could do was just barely keep Thanos from snapping his fingers. I mean, yeah, exactly. I it just seems like that all of the all, we've been building up some of these characters as being so incredibly powerful, but then when they go up against Thanos, they're wimps. It's like where did it's, all their power go? It, I appreciate the balancing act that the that the creative team had to do. I mean, Thanos really does need to be super powerful but they don't seem to be maintaining any consistent level of power right throughout the whole thing uh because in in infinity war thor was able to take him on with the gauntlet on right and captain america was able to stop his punch right and now we've got three on one and he doesn't even have the gauntlet and they still can't take him so yeah i don't know I was unimpressed by that. Yep. The movie makes a point of spotlighting bad language, which I'm one of those people who can watch a movie and just automatically bleep out the bad language and not notice it. Well, they tune made it, it out. Yeah. I just tune it out. They built the bad language into the point where you couldn't ignore it. And, and that just made it all the more worse for me. It's like, what's their audience for this movie? I mean, people are going to be taking their kids to this. This just shows that they don't care anymore about mm-hmm. filtering things down to a level that is appropriate for children. I guess there isn't a level that's inappropriate for children anymore. That's exactly. 
And that that bugs me. I will have to say I need to get back to a like because I've said several dislikes here. <laughs> I loved the way they built in the flashbacks to the previous movies. Agreed. The first Avengers movie and the first Guardians movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the the first Avenger movie, it was really cool because you were actually seeing scenes that were filmed in the first movie from different angles. So they had to have either refilmed them. And or use cutting room floor stuff. Or use yeah. cutting room floor stuff. So it was very cool. And I, I really appreciated it. That just, to me, tied bows, neat little bows around all of the the material that came before Endgame. And I, I and really appreciated it. The way the the travelers used knowledge of events like uh, the Hill Hydra comment, mm-hmm. uh, I thought really was very funny. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, even having the ancient, the ancient one come back, and already have knowledge of Doctor Strange before, you know, she in bantering, you know, her kind of conversation with Bruce is like he's looking for Doctor Strange, and she's like, "You're two, five years too early." <laughs> but mm-hmm. she already know she already knows who he is and how he's going to play it out all out. But there's and some... that he's going to be the best of them. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool, that whole conversation. So, yeah, uh, there were some things about the movie that I could just go all fangirl on and just really love. <laughs> That's one of them. Did you catch, and um, I think, I, I know I'm not the only one who caught this because somebody has already made a comment about it online, that the true hero of this movie is a rat. Okay, I, I saw that comment in our notes, and I have no clue what you're talking about. The entire solution for them getting um, the gauntlet put together and snapping everybody back is a rat walking across a control panel in a van. Uh, Okay. All right. (laughs) Bringing Ant-Man back from the quantum realm, because if that rat hadn't flipped that little switch, none of the rest of it would have happened. So the true hero of the movie is the rat. (laughs) I I will accept that the true hero is a rat if you can show that he did it with intent. <laughs> well, pretty I, sure he was just looking for food. Yeah, well, he he didn't do it with intent, but if he hadn't done it, <laughs> none of the rest of it would have happened. So he's the the rat's a linchpin, definitely. He, yes, yes. Okay, I'll let you talk for a little bit. I have some right. more things I want to I want to talk about, but I've been. Oh, dominating here i said before that i having seen the movie twice now and given it quite a bit of thought i'm actually coming out more on the negative side than i than i am on the positive side but you make a good point we shouldn't end with the negatives so i'm going to actually start with my dislikes (laughs) and uh, then i'll go back into the uh, the things that i did like Mm -hmm. so the biggest dislike for me was the social commentary in the movie. Mm-hmm. We've already talked about the whole... Um, women's power thing. Women's power thing. And I want to be perfectly clear here. It's not the women's power thing that bugs me. It was that you had... It It just takes your suspended disbelief, which is already huge. Right. With this movie, crumples it up, Throws it on the floor, kicks it into the fireplace, and then throws gasoline on the fireplace. (laughs) You have this humongous, like, (laughs) 
a, a battle going on that is covering tens of square miles. Yet somehow, in the middle of this battle, these very diverse characters get together for a social statement. And that just yanked me out. Yeah. Violently. Badly it's, done. It, it was badly done. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It, it was the worst violation of uh, suspension of disbelief in, in a movie that I think I have encountered. And the second one for me was even worse because it was so sly. And I almost hesitate to say it because I know it's going to be a lightning rod. But right after it jumps forward five years, we come to Steve Rogers leading a SNAP support group. Mm -hmm. And they are telling stories. And one of the uh, support group members, who's actually played by one of the directors, is telling the story of how he has gone on a date again. And through the telling of a story, uh, it becomes clear that the guy is a homosexual mm -hmm. and that his, his date was, was another man. And Steve Rogers is accepting and encouraging of it. And I don't feel like that is in his character. So Steve Rogers went into the ice in 1944, 1945, 1945, I think. And comes out of the ice 10 years before Endgame. When he started in the movies as Captain America, he was a professing godly man. So I feel like his tacit approval of the homosexuality of this man was a slap in the face to anyone who believes that homosexuality is sinful. And I feel like it was an intentional slap in the face for that. I don't have a problem with people who disagree and think that homosexuality is, is perfectly natural. Uh, let's face it. The folks who fight for LGBT rights and fight against people who have biblical opinions like myself, they think they're doing right. They're just blind to God's will. But Captain America is supposed to represent the virtue of everything that makes America great mm -hmm. and a godly man. And the way that he uh, approves of this relationship just highlights to me how far America has fallen that he's portrayed this way in the movie, too. Yeah, I guess it, it didn't bug me as much because it didn't surprise me as much. I wouldn't expect the MCU to do anything else, to do anything different. I also, one of the things that is portrayed about Captain America is that he is a very positive person. They they make a point of saying that even when he's having that discussion with Natasha, that right. he's always looking for the bright side of things. He's always positive and uplifting and encouraging. And I don't think that a positive and encouraging person who's is going to go into a support group and tell a man that he's a sinner. And no, I just, I don't think that his being in that support group was necessarily tacit approval of this man dating another man. I think it was just being supportive and encouraging of someone trying to 
to recover from a great loss. And I, I just, I didn't, I didn't read his position there as being necessarily supportive of what that man is doing. And I think as Christians, we can be supportive and encouraging of people without necessarily giving tacit approval to the sins in their lives. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I, I think there's I just a think subtle they, line there. <laughs> I think they crossed that subtle line, but only by a little bit. But I think including it in the movie at all. Oh, they were definitely made. I'm not saying that they weren't making a social statement. I'm just saying yeah. it doesn't surprise me in the least. This is the MCU we're talking about. And with every movie they've come out, they've been making social commentary. So it, 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 but it's been getting worse and worse. Yeah, it, the last year or two, it definitely has been getting worse. You had commented uh, one of your dislikes was that uh, that they highlighted the bad language, mm-hmm. which I Agree definitely with. had a problem with. <laughs> yeah. What made it worse for me was there is a scene where Tony Stark's daughter. This is the scene I'm talking about. You can't ignore the fact that they're saying bad words because it's. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's the, the part that bugs me the most about it is that they have a four year old on screen using the word. Right. So, and yeah, it's humorous because every parent goes through this with their kids. Right. But between that and the whole comment about how Captain America's uniform in the early days did not flatter his gluteus maximus. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Between those two and the swearing being the point of the jokes. Right. I almost said butt of the joke. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> it's. I thought that it was. Once again, they weren't. They weren't concerned about the filter for the audience. They're just. They're. They're leaving. They're intentionally leaving me behind. Yeah, and it bugs me because I grew up with these comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know that this is a frustration with the greater reality that we live in the greater sinful reality that we not live just in. the movie yeah right uh but this movie for me has really hammered at home well the fact that they can have all of that in there and keep their pg-13 rating just goes yeah. to show that the ratings don't that they don't take that into account anymore and so you know it just doesn't matter what they're saying to the audience and the filters they're using to determine what is appropriate for a particular audience has changed. Yeah. We are no longer a society that values moral discretion. Right. So uh, there were two other things, uh, and I want to get off the dislikes. (laughs) (laughs) There were two other things. 99% of the Thor story I didn't like. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a lot of people, my my daughter in particular, found it very funny. And the reveal was very humorous, but... None of it... I, I Just like you said, they departed from Captain America's character. I really felt like they departed from Thor's character exactly. as well. It, it didn't fit his personality or any of the struggles that he's gone through in any of the rest of his movies. It just didn't make sense. Yeah. This is not a type of person who shifts into this kind of melancholy. Melancholy, yes, but not this type of melancholy. He says he's been alive for over a thousand years, and in over a thousand years, he's never encountered this kind of pressure, loss, depression, whatever. Grief, yeah. Yeah, 
uh, it just it was a very shallow humor attempt that I don't think served the story. Mm. Or the character or anything. Yeah. yeah. And then you get to the advice from his mother, which is terrible. Yeah. What she says is everyone fails at who they're supposed to be, or a measure of a person of a hero is how well they succeed at being who they are. <laughs> now, okay, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but is she saying that you shouldn't try to improve be a better person, strive for yeah. something better, set goals for yourself that are tough to reach so that you can achieve something instead of just living in the moment and just living with the status quo. I mean, yeah, this, yeah. this strikes me as guru on a mountain babble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Completely either meaningless or worse than meaningless because it's contrary to what's right. Yeah. All right. So the last thing that bugged me is actually outside of the movie. And it's a huge problem with the Harry Potter movies, too, and books. And that's, and I might not be using the word right here, but retconning the reality. So J.K. Rowling has come out a number of times and provided information about characters and events and habits that are not contained in the book. Mm -hmm. The biggest one was when she came out about halfway through the movie releases uh, after all of the books had been done, I think, and said that Dumbledore was gay. So it really had no impact on the understanding of the character. It was solely as a social statement. Right. And now the Russo brothers have done the same thing. They came out and announced that at least two of the heroes are gay. Oh, great. And I feel like it's just a, a naked attempt to appease or to show solidarity with the LGBTQ community. Yeah. And I appreciate that. But once again, I'm <laughs> left out. Yeah. And I know that is a consequence of my faith and of trying to hold to scriptural definitions of what is good for humanity and what is not good for humanity. But we have gone for decades avoiding having to address any of this in film and still putting out great films. Right. And we've got this new thing that seems to be going on where if you can't see yourself in a character, then you are not in the movie. And that is ridiculous. I, I heard um, uh, Candace Owens was in an interview recently in which she was she was telling she says, I don't have to have a black woman character hero in a movie to not write myself into a movie and enjoy it. I can empathize or sympathize with a character not like me. You know, this idea where every person and every intersectional, you know, minority has to be represented for them to be in the film, to see themselves in the film is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do that. People can imagine themselves in the place of a character, whether that character is the spitting image of them or not. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just ridiculous to say that you have to have every single 
thing represented or people are being left out and they can't see themselves in it. And I think that's ridiculous personally. Yeah. It's it. You provide so much information on the characters that you start excluding the ability to identify with them instead of including the ability. Right. When right. you leave vagaries, then people can answer questions. People can fill that in in any way they like. Yeah. <laughs> and that goes with, you know, not having sex scenes and all that kind of stuff because exactly. that leaves it up to your imagination. You can decide what you want about, you know, somebody's sexual preferences or whatever. It doesn't, you don't have so, to make it obvious. Yeah. So that complaint is more about uh, Hollywood recently in general, in general I guess. Yeah. You know, I've been I've been looking forward to Endgame for 18 months. Right. And to have 18 months of anticipation mm -hmm. corrupted by the social commentary, which specifically tells me I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And I acknowledge that there are going to be people who feel the exact opposite way. But the fact of the matter is, Scripture is what instructs us as to what is right and what is wrong. God, through the Spirit, instructs us as to what is right and what is wrong. I'm angered by it. Yeah. I, I'm really, really put out by it. But there was stuff I liked. <laughs> <laughs> there was stuff I liked. I mentioned that... Marvel has always done comic timing well, and uh, Paul Rudd as Ant-Man really nails it. His one line about uh, somebody peed in my suit. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was baby me or old me or, or me, me, me. me. <laughs> that, was, that was really well done. And, and Bradley Cooper as Rocket the Raccoon. Always good. Yeah. It's, they, they do the writing of the, the comic well. And frankly... Chris Hemsworth as Thor has really had some good one-liners mm -hmm. throughout the franchise, but uh, I think he falls flat in this one. And I think a good reason that he falls flat is because they they did the whole fat suit thing. Right. But they've always done comic injections well, and they, they did it well in this movie too. One thing that I was really mind-blown by is – how good the CGI actor modification stuff has gotten. Mm -hmm. You remember Castaway? I didn't see it. <laughs> I believe I'm contractually obligated to say, you didn't see Castaway? Nope. Um, didn't interest so me. So when filming Castaway, Tom Hanks went on, working with a dietitian, went on this extremely strict diet. And he actually lost all that weight for the filming so this was before they could do the cgi thinning and younging and everything younging mm -hmm. <laughs> aging de-aging de-aging <laughs> de and and uh and aging and aging yeah but in the opening scenes you know when tony has been adrift for uh, more than 20 days he is very thin mm -hmm. and they did a, an incredible job making it realistic. Second time, I was even watching for indications that it was CGI, and I couldn't find anything. On top of that, they actually do quite a bit of de-aging in this film, too, because they have all the flashbacks. Right. And it just it, it astounds me how good they have gotten about that. And it brought to mind, there's a website out there called thispersondoesnotexist.com. 
And if you open up that website, it just all it does is it opens a picture of a person. It's a it's a headshot of a person, right? Mm-hmm. But every time you refresh that page, it generates a new person completely from scratch. <laughs> and there are some. I won't say maybe one out of every five or six of them, you'll be able to look at it and say, uh, that's not right. It violates the uncanny valley rule. Check out the website, thispersondoesnotexist.com, and you'll see a wonderful use of this technology. It's really scary how well they're getting with it. Mm-hmm. The writing in, in Endgame was particularly good. The lines are very well delivered. They're really smart comments in there, you know, that make mm-hmm. you think... And uh, I mentioned the Barton decline into the Ronan character. Yeah. In regard to the good writing, they did a good job with individual portions. Like Tony has this rant about losing and and Captain not being there and everything, uh, which did a really good job identifying his state of mind and actually showing him to be a little bit unstable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I I thought that was really well done um, and. You know, they humanized Howard Stark even more, which was good. They made him more of a father. That whole scene between Tony and Howard, I liked because it it increased the family, the feel of family. Like I said, all of the flashbacks were spectacular. They did. Yeah. They did a terrific job with all of them. And the scene with, you know, in, in that period of time, it was good for all the way. I mean, it's just the way they built that whole scene with him meeting his dad was, was quite, and giving each other advice about children and everything. Yeah, exactly. That was just really marvelous. Yeah. Marvel really is among the best out there when it comes to reveals, Mm -hmm. uh, twists and everything. And Endgame really does a good job with that too. Yeah. I appreciated the fact that, you know, everybody thought, well, they'll just get the team together and go after him. And they dealt with that like in the first, couple minutes of the movie i mean it's just like boom 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 that didn't work now five years later so you know all of the speculating that everybody had been doing up till the time the movie came out they that was all pretty much thrown away within the first few minutes of the movie and i appreciated that they they like they knew what people were thinking and they made sure to to you know nope we're not going to do it the way you thought we were going to do it. We're going to do it a different way. <laughs> Though I will tell you that somebody did have, um, prior to the movie coming out, somebody had told me they thought it was going to be a time travel solution. Yeah. And so, so there were people speculating about that. And uh, and it was hinging on Ant-Man in the quantum realm. So people, yeah. were, were, people were on that wavelength. I did want to point out the big plot hole that I... Th- I saw in the movie, it's not really so much of a, a theme discussion. So I wanted to get that out of the way before we go into our, our theme discussion. To me, the whole waiting five years and then bringing everybody back five years later mm-hmm. was in and of itself a plot hole. And and here's my reasoning. The whole idea that Thanos was saying that there were too many people, too much of a stress on re- resources and everything. And so he made half the world, half the universe, all the living creatures in the universe disappear. And then you wait five years for a a world to be demoralized by that loss. And then you bring everybody back in an instant. And the resources on the planet, you've you've lost half of your workforce (laughs) to put food on the table. 
the, they even showed the fact that the cities were crumbling because there weren't people maintaining the infrastructure, right? So, right. So, so you have all these ships that are just like parked and, and, and things that are just being destroyed. Imagine planes falling out of the air, you know, when their pilots vanish and cars being wrecked and all of this infrastructure that's been destroyed by all by the snap, basically. And then you wait five years for that demoralization to continue and, you know, suffering, you know, the, the people just not getting things done. You know, there's the farms that are going to waste where food's not being harvested, cows not being milked, eggs not being collected, all of yeah. the food not being manufactured. And then you bring half of the world's population back in a snap. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. It would cause almost disrupt almost as much disruption as their initial disappearance. The initial snap, yeah, right, exactly. And so, chaos would not be fixed by that. It would actually be made worse. I saw that as a massive plot hole, and I was listening to some other people talk about this movie, and they were pointing out the fact that having that five year wait before you bring everybody back all hinged on Tony's decision that he did not want to lose the family he'd created in that five years. Mm -hmm. So he made it a requirement. He made it a requirement. You're going to snap them back now, not five years earlier because I don't want to lose my daughter. And to me, that actually messed up some of the character development on him because he made a selfish decision and, and still saved the world. And it's like kind of the development of his character was that he was a, a person who had learned to put, you know, being a hero ahead of selfish desires, because that's kind of the whole point of some of the Iron Man movies was him yeah. ceasing to be selfish and and learning to put others first. And, and then he turns around and does the selfish thing at the end. Now, granted, he does have the big hero death. But he still he accomplished both things. He saved the world and he kept his family. And it was like there was no consequences for him making the selfish decision. And yeah. and so I felt like that that whole five year thing was a a massive plot hole. Yeah. You know, if he had done it uh, on a spur of the moment, it would have been one thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, it all the other Avengers agreed to his assessment and somebody should have seen through the whole idea of everybody coming back after five years of being absent. Right. I mean, you've got people that, you know, fan, like daughters who have outgrown their need for parents. And mm -hmm. and then, you know, they it's like they like showed the school at the end with, with Peter Parker going back to school and all his friends are, you know, were, was the entire school snapped? Because now... Yeah, I was, I was wondering about that too. And it seems to me that the proportion is wrong because they're saying, they keep saying 50% of everybody left, but the proportions are wrong. Like we saw more than 50% of the Avengers disappear. We saw more than 50% of Clint's family disappear. We saw, I mean, it just, yeah. it doesn't seem to weigh out correctly. And so I, I had a massive problem with that. And it bugged me more the second time after I watched the movie the second time I was sitting here going, wait a minute, that just doesn't add up right. There's a, yeah. there's a massive infrastructure problem with them bringing half the world's population back five years later. I would like to see them address it, but I bet uh, 
Well, I guess, you know, we'll have to see next month how how, how the they spi- start off. With the Spider-Man um, movie. If everything's yeah, back to the way it home. was and everything is is perfect again, I'm going to go, uh, you guys really dropped the ball on that one. Yeah, exactly. You know what? It's comic books. Okay. Yeah. We, we I know, get it. I know. I know. But... But still, when you take it off the page and you put real people acting out the characters, you have to <laughs> you have to be a little more honest. Yeah, yeah. Now you had you've already kind of spoken to what you yeah. what you feel about the eroded morality in the movie. Why don't you present some scripture to kind of push that? Yeah, like we had said that. The eroded morality that is on display in Endgame is is really just a symptom of the larger society, particularly over the how many years has it been now? Twelve years, yeah, since like- the first Marvel movie. So if you look at this as a snapshot, then it's really scary. Yeah, it but really is. it does bring to mind some very specific scripture references, and some of them are ones that we've used multiple time times. and time again. Yeah. Because because they're so important. Uh, the first one that comes to mind for me is Romans twelve two. Mm-hmm. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and uh, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Mm-hmm. And Titus two one. But you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching, and that's that is one of the mission statements for are you just watching mm-hmm. we want to make sure that we are focusing on sound teaching scriptural teaching and as the movies the popular movies get worse more a need for us than ever <laughs> yeah uh so the the last one that i just want to bring uh bring up is revelations Twenty one eight, and you know when when you pull out revelations, it gets dark, right? But that that scripture is uh, is just a reminder that what is at stake here. Revelations twenty one eight says, "But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all the liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur." which is the second death. Yeah. It's that should give us more of a burden for than ever to be reaching the lost for Christ and we need to take that into perspective when we're watching this as we can't expect unsaved people to behave like saved people. Right. They are degenerate in spirit because they are lost to sin, they're slaves to sin and they can't see anything other than their sin. And so it is on us to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit to speak Christ into these people's lives as much as possible. That's what our calling yeah. is. Our calling is not to make the world more moral. Our call calling is to bring people to Christ. And, you know, there are going to be people who will always refuse the call. Right. My father died in January and he died unsaved. Oh. He always refused to discuss faith my mother my brother and i tried so many times yeah and he would every time shut the conversation down so 
it, there are going to be and loved not, ones. And it's not on us when they refuse because they're not refusing us. They're refusing God. And, and and you know what? The fact that they refuse is something God knew before they were even born. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do not understand it. I may never understand it, even after <laughs> I have been raised in a new body. Yep. But or my body has been raised anew. <laughs> but I I have faith that it serves God's will. Yes. Now speaking of death, there are a couple fairly prominent ones in this movie. And to be honest, I expected more. Mm-hmm. I did too. <laughs> I had expected to lose at least most of the original Avengers. And yeah, me too. That we only lost two of them to death is really quite surprising to me. Uh, one of them was a surprise to me, actually. Yeah. Now, both of them were in a way sacrifices. And the interesting thing about Natasha's character is that we see that she is kind of living on hope only at Mm -hmm. the beginning of this movie. She's the only thing that's keeping her going is the belief that somehow, some way they are going to work out a way to undo the snap. And she doesn't have any clue how that's going to happen, but she refuses to give up and just get on with her life. This is the whole thing that she's centered around. It's all that she's put her heart and her mind into. She's maintaining Avengers headquarters all by herself. (laughs) Yeah. She is the embodiment of survivor's guilt. Yeah. And so when it comes to the point where it's between her and Clint, one of them has to die to get the soul stone. She makes sure it's her. And I really felt like it should have been Clint. And I think Clint really felt like it should have been him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. But somehow she she pulls it off. Yeah. You know, I go the other way. I think she was between the two. I think she was the better choice. Mm-hmm. I was confused by what I sort of felt, and I'm sort of on the fence about this too, about a rules change for the Soul Stone. Because when Thanos got the Soul Stone, he had to sacrifice something he truly loved. Mm-hmm. What does that say but, about the relationship between Natasha and Clint? They seem to have always had a fairly good relationship, but I don't know that Barton necessarily loved her. I mean, he had a wife and kids. Yeah, well, you know, I think it was brotherly love. Yeah. it's. I think their relationship was that of partners who had been working together and all that. Mm-hmm. So I asked the question, did the rules of the Soul Stone sacrifice change? And then, it, then I thought about that final scene where Natasha is dangling from Clint Barton's grip. Mm-hmm. And it got me to questioning, did he let go or did she Wrench succeed his, in – yeah. 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 Did she succeed in taking her own life or did Barton give her up? I think she took her own life. I, I think she, See, she, that's the way that was my read too. When I, both times I watched the movie, but that violates the rule of the soul, soul stone. I don't know. He lost, he lost the one he loved. So, I, but he didn't give it up. He didn't make the sacrifice of somebody he loved, Well, which is what was required of Thanos. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know yeah. that that rule was hard and fast. I think that one of them had to die. That was the the feeling that. But I do. Yeah. I don't know. I agree. Yeah, it was with just you. A, a consistency thing. For yeah, me. It, it isn't consistent. But in in the end, there was a sacrifice there, and yep. I feel that 
that sacrifice is something that comes with Christianity. And so when we see sacrifice being portrayed in movies, I think it's, it's an easy way to write ourselves in as Christians because Mm -hmm. sacrifice comes hand in hand. In fact, we were talking about this in our, in our last discussion on the Spider-Verse movie in that we have to give up things to follow Christ. It's not something that we do that it's easy. It's the hard path. It's the, the path less chosen, you know, and it's, it's not easy to be a Christian. And sometimes that, those sacrifices can add up to even giving, being willing to give up your own life because you know where you're going and life is no longer yeah. as important to you as eternity. And so I feel that this is probably the easiest way to write ourselves into the movie. I mean, if, if it's between yourself and an unsaved person, you're going to sacrifice yourself so that the unsaved person has a chance to be saved. I mean, yep. that that is the call that we that's have. That's the ideal. Yeah, that's the yeah. ideal. So we can easily put ourselves in the place of Natasha, who believed that she had finished her life and that she, that the the need to get the stone was greater than her need to live. And mm-hmm. and it was the salvation for everybody else. And so she was willing to die to save everybody else. Yeah. And it goes back to that scripture that we use a lot, that no one has greater love than this, than than to lay down his life for his friends, John fifteen thirteen. So that's definitely a terrific tie in to to her sacrifice. Yeah, and you know, in the end Tony did a very similar thing. While Natasha had done it for literally half Every- half of the life in the universe. Right. Uh or a chance to recover half of life in the universe. Tony did it to save all the people on the battlefield. Right. And, and, uh, and he really, knew. and really, everybody in the universe, because Thanos, if he got the stones and snapped again, he was going to take everybody out that time. Yeah, oh. oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I was thinking much more small scale with yeah. him. And I love the way he got the stones because Thanos had forgotten that. Well, Thanos may not have even known that Tony had designed the gauntlet, and since the gauntlet was just another one of his mechanicals, then he could just reach over and actually steal the stones out of the gauntlet. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was just very well done. And it was a great yeah. reveal for everybody because everybody was like, he's going to snap. And then he snaps and nothing happens. You know, the sacrifices in the movie are grand. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did bring to mind a, a couple of scriptures where uh, we are reminded that grand sacrifices that involve death and all that are not necessarily what we're called to. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I thought was interesting was that Tony steps forward because he couldn't live with the idea of not having done anything. It was that the line that he gives when he shows up at Avengers headquarters is, I just want peace. It turns out that regret is corrosive. And so he, he wanted his sweet little family and he wanted to live happily ever after. He didn't want to have anything to do with undoing the snap because in the snap he got mm-hmm. his family. But he figured out that if he couldn't live in peace be knowing that he had not that he had the solution and he hadn't brought it forward, that that regret would end up destroying everything that he had. And I think that was a very insightful statement that you can't not sacrifice yourself or make the necessary sacrifices. If you know that not, I'm getting myself twisted around. You have to make them mm. because you can't live with not making them. Right. 
the regret that he talks about is the regret of not having done the right thing when he had the chance. Right. And that is that is tough to live with. I mean, I think we all have instances where we've made the the wrong choice in our past. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we regret it. And, and, you know, regret is actually one of the things that I struggle with because we know it, as a Christian, I know that I can put it on God. But my one of my biggest problems is uh, actually being willing to let go of it. Right. So first Samuel fifteen twenty two through 23, it says, uh, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than to sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and defiance, like the wickedness of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So really, it's the big grand gestures are not as important for Christians as just simple obedience and coming with a broken spirit. Mm-hmm. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despair a broken and humble heart, God. That's from Psalm fifty-one seventeen. Yeah. So if we if we can make those sacrifices, if we can sacrifice a broken spirit and obedience, then we please God. Right. Yeah, it's definitely a, a strong theme in this movie, and I think it's a good reminder. And it's not even that the grand sacrifices are not acceptable. It's what the right. the condition of the heart when you make the grand grand sacrifices. And so, I think that you know, God wants us to follow Him and His desires for our lives, and He doesn't want us to be um, making gestures based on what we want other people to see in our lives. It's, it goes back to the, the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew 7, where it says, you know, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't, you know, blow trumpets for yourself. Don't pray on the street corner so people see you. You're getting your reward from what men, you know, applaud you for doing. You're not getting your reward from God. And mm-hmm. so it's definitely a matter of needing to have the right perspective and the right heart when you're making those sacrifices that you're not doing it so that people will notice you and applaud you for doing it. So, yeah. Now the, one of the, I think most telling quotes in this entire movie, in my opinion is from Thanos. And it's, this is the, the past Thanos come forward into the future to undo them undoing the snap. (laughs) (laughs) Time travel doesn't get confusing at all. No, not in this one at all. This is Thanos, and so I cannot read in Thanos' voice, so you'll just have to imagine him saying this. Uh, (laughs) I thought by eliminating half of life, the other half would thrive. But you have shown me that's impossible. As long as there are those that remember what was, there will always be those that are unable to accept what can be. They will resist. I will shred this universe down to its last atom, and then, with the stones you've collected for me, create a new one teeming with life that knows not what it has lost, but what it has been given a grateful universe. And I was thinking this, the arrogance of that is astounding, but it's, it's not just Thanos that has a God complex. If you apply this to humanity, (laughs) it's crazy how many people in our world today have these kind of God complexes. They have it built in their mind. What would be ideal? What would create utopia? 
And they are willing to step on anybody and shatter anything to make their utopia come to be, no matter how many lives it destroys. And in fact, even Tony makes a comment near the beginning of this movie that is very similar. And he talks about his his shield around the the world, you know, that if he mm-hmm. that if we had just done his shield around the world, no matter what it would do, just whether it impacted our precious freedoms or not. You know, that's what we needed was something to protect the world. So we all have these visions of of what we think will make the world a better place. And it's a horrible God complex. I mean, you have the Nazis who thought it was creating the superior race. You had the communists who thought it was government mandated equality. You have the socialists who think it redistributed wealth. Yep. You have the capitalists who think that it's market-based economics and mm-hmm. and opportunity even dictators probably have you know they think i mean thanos is a dictator and that's what he thinks he's just going to right the world and make it better that by his right of rule and none of that is the way god did it because god created a perfect world and then he allowed it to be marred by sin because mm-hmm. he wanted a a people who were grateful and and loved him and glorified him out of their own free will, not out of being forced to. And I I think it's just a massive contrast that the real God has, I mean, when we get at these God complexes, we're actually opposing God in the way he did things. We're going opposite of of his perfect order. Yeah, there's a line between stewardship and uh, believing you're in charge. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it, we we are the servants who have left be have been left behind to care for the estate. Mm-hmm. We are not the we are not the masters of the estate, right? To me, when he said that, I was just like, "This is this is what you get. This is the god complex that people have." I've been hearing it in politics for the last you know five months since you know the House of Representatives went. Uh, to the Democrats, some of these socialist Democrats have been saying things that just appall me in in their idea of what we can do to fix climate change and solve poverty and all of their their solutions are all God complex solutions. You know, if we could just force this and do this and do this, then the world yeah. will be a better place. And it's like you can't force the world to be a better place. It just gets worse when you do that. And I and God's solution was such an amazing one because in uh, Romans 5, 8, it says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't, he didn't try to fix the world by forcing us into compliance with his will. He sacrificed his son for us. Yeah. I mean, it's a totally different way to solve sin in the world instead of trying to force you know, people to behave a certain way. He, he sacrificed his son for us so that we would have some, a way out of our sin. And that's just a marvelous contrast to the way humans fix things. For me, the, uh, the God, the God complex portion was as much that Thanos thought that he could rebuild the universe atom by atom. I mean, here's a guy who was surprised by the resist the amount of resistance he encountered on Earth, a planet he knew about. Yeah, <laughs> and he even knew the Avengers, but he was surprised by the amount of resistance they put up. <laughs> uh, and he- here's a guy who turned petty 
because they were thwarting his will. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said at one point, uh, you know, uh, it's never been personal up until now. But I'm going to take um, great pleasure in destroying your planet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, how how is this guy think he's going to be able to reinvent creation atom by atom? <laughs> Come on. And how does I mean, he expects to create a grateful world, but nobody's grateful for dictatorship. Mm. <laughs> uh-uh. Nope. Maybe, maybe, maybe after Christ comes again and he is the perfect king. Right. But not before then. Nope. Nope. Um, j- let me just throw. I know we're running long on long on time. Let me throw one scripture in there. It just Psalm one forty seven four and five. He counts the number of stars, gives names to all of them. Our Lord is great, vast in power. He under his understanding is infinite. Yeah. There is no way Thanos. I don't care how powerful he is, even comes close to rising to that. Right. He's he's a little G God complex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lowercase. <laughs> Thanos is definitely lowercase. Well, one of the other major themes in this movie is family. And we saw it in several lines. Uh, Natasha makes a comment fairly on early in the movie. She makes a comment about that she's doing all of this because the the Avengers was her family. And the, the job of being... With S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Avengers made her a better person. And she was just trying to be better, you know, because even though she'd lost all of them. And I thought that was very interesting that she's not the only character that's like that because Rocket, his greatest regret is losing the Guardians. He he lost all of the Guardians because yeah, he was the only one. left. He was right? the only one left. Nebula was well, uh, Nebula. But Nebula yeah. wasn't part of the Guardians of the Galaxy. She mm-hmm. was uh, she was Gamora's sister. So. I, I really felt like that that theme of of adoption was running very strongly through the movie. Like that that there's family that is closer to you than blood family. They're the yeah. the the people that you turn into your family. For me, it's since I don't. I mean, obviously, I still have my parents living and I love them dearly. But the people that I interact with day to day are the people at work, and they are kind of my family now. They're the people yeah. I see every day, and they're the people that I interact with. So we sometimes turn turn those that are close to us into family, whether they're family or not. And that is a beautiful picture of what we have in Christ as becoming Christians, is that we are adopted into a family of God. And that is an important family to us. In fact, in uh, Galatians 4, 4 through 6, it says, When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and become and because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, mm-hmm. the the intimate relationship with our, our Father in heaven. And that that is that spirit of adoption that we have. Yeah, you know, even when a family first starts, it's there's an element of that adoption in there because uh, Matthew 19, 5 says, uh, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his mm-hmm. wife and the two will become one flesh they tr- create a new uh, family yeah exactly <laughs> and, and that's exactly how the adoption works and uh it's we have we have elements in endgame of traditional families uh tony's is the most straightforward with mm-hmm. with uh 
Pepper Potts and and uh, his new daughter, which is, I might add, a, a really nice bike bookend uh, to use my son's term, <laughs> because in Infinity War, the first introduction to Tony is him talking to Pepper about having this dream about having a baby, mm-hmm. having a kid, and talking about names right. for that matter. Right, and you know, Steve Rogers, he gives it all up. Yeah. Presum- presumably, we we don't know. That's one of those places where they leave it. They thankfully leave much to the to our imagination. He goes back, but and- he go- gives it up and goes back to uh, to marry Peggy. Yeah, Carter, and of course, and that was you know, a satisfying ending for his character. I really appreciated that that he was able to go back I did too. and have that relationship that he never got to have because he he outlived her. I I do have to ask. So where's Mjolnir? Oh, well, Steve, remember he was taking the stones back to all their locations? That would include right. putting the hammer back where it belonged. Because Thor, oh, I didn't Thor, think of that. Thor would have needed it. So as much as they needed to have that, the um, which stone was that that he had to return to Asgard? Um, but yeah, he um, would have had to have... Space stone. Yeah. yeah uh, he would have had to have returned the hammer there as well because Thor would have needed it. Yeah, uh, that's that's it. I didn't think of that. Good point. Nice catch. Very nice catch. <laughs> to uh, to highlight the the idea that uh, family is really important, uh, I just want to throw out John 1, uh, 12 and 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to all those who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, but of or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Mm. And that really says, hey, adoption is every bit <laughs> the family that being a descendant is. Right. Yeah. If not more. Yeah. Well, it's the, the family you choose instead of the the family you're born into. We can't, can't really have a lot of say in what family we're born into, but we can choose a family. And that is mm-hmm. a lot more powerful. And God chooses us to be his family. That's, that's the most awe-inspiring thing in the world, that when we become Christians, we've been adopted by a, a father that there's no comparison to. And those who have bad fathers who've been raised with, you know, horrible and horrible families, you know, God is the perfect father. And there's just no comparison. Even if you've been raised in a good family and have a good dad, God's better. Yeah. So it's it's um it's a wonderful promise that we have as Christians. It's all all fathers are just seeking to be a dim reflection of <laughs> oh, the true father. Yes. The all father. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have gone seriously over time on on our discussion of this movie, but it was worth it because this movie was a three hour movie. We needed yeah. more than more than <laughs> our typical <laughs> hour to talk about it. I will say that we do have a discussion group on Facebook, and you can get there by going to areyoujustwatching dot com slash community, and that will take you directly to our Facebook group, and you can ask to join. And if there are more things that you know, there's obviously a lot in this movie that we could have talked about. And we've just bounced a stone across the surface of this very deep lake. Um, yeah. We would love for you to come join us and, and strike up some conversations in our discussion group about all the things we didn't talk about in this episode, because there's more and we just ran out of time. So come and join us. 
You can also comment on the show notes at areyoujustwatching.com slash 92. You can call us at 513-818-2959. Or you can email us at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. And you know what? We have terrific news. Last The last episode, uh, we were talking about losing our network and we were going independent and we didn't know, you know what the Lord it would have in store for us in that. But in the just a few weeks since we recorded that last episode, we have been accepted into the Christian podcast community. And that is a terrific blessing. Yay. Yay. We're so we're so happy to be a, a member of this of this truly inspired community of Christian podcasters and we're hoping that it will grow our audience and that we'll have more people joining in on our Facebook group and we're just this is like a, a fresh start for us. We get we get to start all over again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Daniel did a great job, mm-hmm. but uh I'm really encouraged by the the support and the community that we have access to with uh, the Christian podcast community. Really looking forward to uh, the relationship with them. Yes. And uh, we're, we're hoping that it will, will grow. The community will grow. It's a, it's a new community. They haven't been doing it very long. And so hopefully as we get, get more podcasters into that community, it will just become the stronger as we reach out on our various topics to reach the world for Christ. And this is, we're not preaching to the choir. We're, we're joining a Christian podcasting group, but we are still available to all who want to download our episodes and share our episodes. So to that end, we ask that you subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, because now that you can get your podcasts on Google as well as various other feeds. So uh, we we ask that you subscribe and listen to us on a regular basis. You can follow me on Twitter at Eve Franklin. And you can follow me on Twitter at Rencheple, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E. We also ask that you would support our podcast by going to patreon.com slash are you just watching? And special thanks to our current patrons, Amanda John, Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II, and Peter Chapman. We thank them so much for their generous support. And you too. Yes, and you too can support us. We are asking that even though we are now a member of the Christian podcast community, we still need your support because we are independently hosting our website. We're just a member of their community. So we still need your support to help pay our bills. So thank you so much again for supporting us. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch.